Well, good morning. Good to see several new faces back there. Hello, Colonel and Mrs. Colonel. Good to have you back in the service. They have had a battle, so let's welcome them back. This is, this is great. <clears throat> Dolores fell and broke some ribs, and Jim decided he'd fall too a few weeks later after she healed. Nobody knew about it because, of course, Jim doesn't tell anybody when he falls and breaks something, but I found out through the grapevine. So we're so thankful to see you all back with us. It's a blessing to have you this morning. Rosetta, where is Rosetta? Did I miss her too? It's hard to see everybody up here. There she is. Hey, good to have you back. We've been praying for you all. We've been praying for several people. So it's great to see you back, Rosetta. So thank you for coming. We're starting a new series this morning. And uh, hopefully it'll be fast, right? But it won't be. I, have, I started off with four messages. I have... Uh, I'm up to 12, spiritual warfare. So obviously if there's 12 messages, there's a lot of content here. It's unbelievable the things that come up. And what I want to do is kind of give you an overview this morning and kind of delve in a little bit and then explain some things to you and take my time because I don't think some believers have ever heard this. People do not understand what spiritual warfare is. We don't even think that we're fighting a spiritual battle. As a matter of fact, the only thing we think we're fighting is what we see, and that is flesh and blood. Why do marriages crumble? Why do parents lose control of their children? Why do young people, college-age students, struggle in their spiritual life or to even find things? Why do people struggle with addictions? Why do people, why can they not control anger? Why is it that rage can come inside of a human? Are you hearing me this morning? All of these things are not fleshly. They are all spiritual battles that take place in the heavens and wage war in your flesh. If you don't understand that, you will be fighting the wrong enemy. The enemy is not the person that you think is opposed to you. The enemy is the person who is being controlled by the forces behind them who are waged against you. A lot of people understand in God's Word that every person supposedly has an angel or a ministering spirit that watches over us. So let me just unfold this cartoon-like play in your mind. Imagine... When you are saved, and I'm not making this up, by the way, Jesus says in Matthew 19 that when little children are born, that their angel will be informed. So children have a guardian angel. And then when you look in Hebrews chapter 2, the writer to Hebrews says that aren't angels ministering spirits given to minister to the heirs of salvation? So every person has at least one spiritual being who watches over you. Now, I have never seen mine, okay, never heard from him. But can I assure you of something? I will almost guarantee you he's there. If I pause just for a moment to explain to you the things that have happened throughout my life where I should have died, I want you to hear me closely. I should have died multiple, multiple times. Cars should have fallen on me while I was under them working. Beams should have fallen on me. One time we were out sawing lumber. My dad was a logger. A tree should have split and killed me. But for some reason, I I was moved out of the way, not picked up supernaturally. Now, don't get me wrong. But I was moved out of the way, and the exact place I was standing, that tree fell. Just a few years ago, one of my children set up a deer stand in the woods. Unbeknownst to them, when I went back up through the woods to check it, an ash tree had fallen and came right down on top of where that stand was. Had my, had my son been in that stand, he would have been a dead kid. And we sometimes think about these things. Think about the times you drove on the road and you forgot your wallet and you had to go back and get it. And you're fussing and angry because you had to go back and get your wallet only to drive up the road a few miles and figure out there was a wreck right in front of you. And had you not been delayed for just a few minutes, you would have died in it or at least been involved in it. Listen to me, folks. There is a supernatural world that you and I can't see. And the greatest 
defeat of the enemy is when people say, I don't believe it's there. We've been portrayed to believe that the devil is some cosmic cartoon figure in a red suit with a pointy tail with horns and a pitchfork. Christians even believe that the devil will be in hell tormenting people. People believe that the devil is the one who is the ruler of hell. That is stupid. That is non-biblical. He is not the ruler of hell. He will be the judged one in hell. And as a matter of fact, hell was never created for humans. It was created for the devil and his angels. Matthew chapter 25. God never made the lake of fire for mankind. He made it for our enemy and his enemy, Satan or the devil himself. Now, that's just a little segue into spiritual warfare. But I am telling you, we live in a battle. I want to read this passage to you in Ephesians chapter 6, just to kind of start off where we are. And I'm not going to have a cartoons figure of a Roman soldier up here, dressed in a shield and a sword. And That is not what this series is about. This is not a Sunday school series. I'm going to go all the way back, as far as God's Word will take us, and show you the cosmic battle that happened. It was a war. God obviously created Satan. He did not create a devil. I want you to hear me. He created a cherub, that is, a guardian of his throne. But God also creates with free will. Did you know that? Now, all of my Calvinist brethren, I have Calvinist leanings, so don't get yourself in an uproar here. But you do have free will. If you don't believe me, pull your pocket knife out, and if you... Don't think you have free will. Just go ahead and stab. Go ahead, I dare you. So I tell them, if you don't have free will, pull it out and stab. And they'll go, oh, oh, oh no. You ha- there are certain things you have free will, but free will does not mean what we think free will means. But God makes his creation with the ability to choose, just like he does you. You, you make choices in your life. The angelic realm had choices. And the cherub that God made to guard his throne had a choice. Serve God or serve self. And somewhere along the line, he became lifted up in pride. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 about the pastor. He must not be a new convert lest he be lifted up in pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Arrogance threw him down from guarding God's throne. Here's how it plays out. I'll just go ahead and tell you. God creates the heaven and the earth. Satan, Lucifer, he is already created. He's a created spirit being. He's guarding God's heavenly throne. And he convinces one-third of this supernatural race to rebel against God and follow him. God then creates the heaven and the earth. And God decides that he wants to create mankind to have dominion and authority over his creation. Are you listening carefully? When Satan, the arch enemy of God and the hater of man, saw God create Adam and Eve in his image and in his likeness, he became so infuriated and so rageful that he came down in the Garden of Eden and there was some kind of a battle between God and Satan which is not told in detail in Scripture. But this is kind of how it worked out. God, why did you create those men to rule on the earth? Why didn't you let me? And for some reason, God must have answered him because I want to let them rule. And Satan said, well, what if I make them fall? And apparently God said, there they are. If you can make them fall and they disobey me, then guess what? Then you become the temporary God of that age. It'll be yours. But if you can't get them to fall, then guess what? You're gone. What happens to Adam and Eve? Now see, people think this is some figmented little cartoon. This is as real as real gets, folks. The man and the woman were in the garden and everything God had created was good. And the enemy came down to the woman and began to do what? Question God's word. Step number one, question God's word, question God's goodness. Has God said? Guess what he did? He was able to fool the woman and trick her and 
Eve did what? She gave to her husband. She disobeyed God and she gave to her husband. If you read Romans chapter 5, Adam wasn't deceived. First Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Adam was not deceived. 1 Timothy 2. But the woman was. Now that doesn't mean women are deceptive and gullible and not smart. But it means that he went right for the weakest link. He deceived the woman. She then gave the fruit to her husband, Adam, whatever it was. And he ate and knew exactly what he was doing. That's why when sin entered the world and death through Adam, this is why Adam is charged with sin and not Eve. When Eve fell and sinned, nothing happened. They didn't know they were naked. But when Adam did, and he knew fully well what he was doing... God held him accountable over his family and the spiritual world totally changed. Listen to what happened. I'll go into this in a whole message. They immediately knew they were naked. They ran. They hid from God. They lied to each other. They began to blame each other. And the first domestic dispute happened right there in the Garden of Eden. Eve blamed the devil. Adam blamed God. And then he blamed his wife. Blame shifting started right there. I'm not finished. If you think that's, that's the end, <clears throat> God comes down and he walks in the garden and says, I'm going to create a seed from you, Eve, and it's going to be a battle between your seed and the serpent's seed throughout the rest of history. And guess what happened? There was a battle. When... The Satan felt felt like Cain was the one. Read the text real close. We'll go back through it. He pounced on Cain like you would not imagine. And God even came to Cain and said, Cain, watch your anger. Watch your jealousy. Watch your rage. There is a new world system that's working and you're falling right in its lap. If you don't, sin is crouching at your door And it's going to eat you up. Well, what did Cain do? Cain ignored God. He continued to be empowered by the flesh of the world and picked up a rock and crushed his brother's skull. The first spilled blood in the garden. And then you have the blood of Abel, which is crying out for God's justice. It doesn't end there. The war continues. And on and on the war goes, all the way out through human history, even to today, where you and I live. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes, the strategies, the schema of the devil. Because he has a scheme. He has watched your game film. Like all athletes do in football, they always watch the opponent and they know exactly what their weaknesses are. They know exactly where they can get strongholds in their life and your enemy has watched you. Now greater is he who is in you than he who is over the world But don't you dare think that because he is a defeated foe because of the cross of Jesus that he is not trying to squelch your life. Don't you dare think he's not trying to steal your children. Our enemy will try his best to get your children involved in drugs, in sex, in thievery, in anything he can do to destroy your testimony. He'll come right after you. And let me tell you something, it's never worse but in a pastor's home. If you think that a pastor lives on easy street, you have no clue. We have been woken up at nights from demonic dreams that we know we've had. One night I woke up in my own dream. Terrible dream. One of my children came down the steps screaming and yelling that a demon was choking him to death in the bed. Now if you think that's fiction and it's not real and you think you can control that, or you think I'm being over-animistic, then you've never been in spiritual battle. Because there was some spiritual battle going on. And the only thing that I could do when my child came and crawled in my bed was begin to cry out to God, Oh God, 
the God who is greater than anything in this world remove whatever this is from our home that is attacking us. Take it away. Here is the greatest deception of the Christian life that somehow or another in our own strength we can defeat the enemy. I have news for you folks. You can't do it. I don't care how strong you are, how big of muscles you have, how many tattoos or earrings you have on you, or how intimidating you look. You are no match for the spiritual forces of evil. The greatest military leader in the United States of America is no match for the smallest demonic force waged against them. It's only a fool would believe that. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Look at what Paul says. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Now, pause here and look at the text. Because I want to tell you something else. I read an article this week, and I shared it with Karen. She said, you need to share this with people. I said, so I will. I read an article from a theological journal, and this is what it said. Preaching is spiritual warfare. Now hear me carefully. Few think of preaching this way, but it is essential to do so in order to profit from anything in God's Word. Preaching, and especially listening to preaching, is spiritual warfare. You ever wonder why your bladder is so active on Sunday morning? No, I'm, I'm serious. You ever wonder why? Do you ever have any clue why there are so many distractions on Sunday morning? Why is it on Saturday night you are so tempted to watch the dirtiest, nastiest things on TV And why is it on Sunday morning it's so hard to get up? And you know I'm telling the truth. Why is it on Sunday morning when you're getting ready to go to church, it's the greatest time for a domestic in Christian living? I mean, we can find more things to fight and argue about, and all of a sudden, a spirit of irritation just comes over our life, and we just want to fight. Let Let me tell you something. Stop getting mad at your husband. And stop getting mad at your wife because there is a spiritual warfare going on in your life. And if you don't recognize this, you're going to do battle against flesh and blood and not against the real forces of spiritual evil. Now, folks, most Christians have no clue about this. No clue. And so we level our attack at the person. And what happens when we level our attack at the person? We get involved in a fight with flesh and blood. And that causes the greatest spiritual problem ever. By the way, let me illustrate it this way. Can you imagine sitting in front of your TV? Because the spiritual forces, by the way, are in heavenly places, Paul says here. You see that? Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Can you imagine sitting watching TV and watching someone get mugged and robbed on TV? You're watching this movie. Now, it's a, it's a robbery on TV... Can you imagine going over and taking your fist and just start pounding on the TV trying to defend that person? Can you? What what about if you went and got a hammer and just started pounding on the TV? Well, what good would that do? You're fighting in the wrong realm. The battle is taking place somewhere else. You're just watching it here, but you have no control. Now, you can bash, you can pick the TV up and slam it on the ground, and the only thing you're going to do is make a mess. You're not going to impact the reality of where it happened at all. And this is what happens in our spiritual life. We wrestle not against the things of flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Now, while we're in the text here, take your mind up here. I didn't do it on my screen. You're talking about spiritual battle. You ought to see me trying to upload my message this morning. My mic will die today. Anytime I preach about anything with spiritual warfare, it's terrible. Terrible. But notice the word against here. You see this? Look at these phrases. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's the fourth line down. Third third line down. Stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against 
rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That's a lot against us. Now, some people say this is a hierarchy of demonic forces. Don't even go there. We don't have a clue. But the enemy is strategic. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he levels and wages warfare really well. So what is spiritual warfare? Well, you've talked a lot about it. Now tell us what it is. Spiritual warfare is the ongoing conflict against the human race with its enemies, primarily three. What are they? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are your three greatest enemies that you face in life. And if you don't understand them or understand how to control or to overpower or to submit to God's way of handling, they will dominate you. The world, the flesh, and Satan. Spiritual warfare began with the fall of God's created spirit being Satan and then his followers. And then spiritual warfare is waged against mankind. And there are several purposes. What are some of the purposes of spiritual warfare? This is where we need a small group. Let me just list a few. Why does Satan wage spiritual warfare against you? Well, it's to keep non-Christians from coming to a personal relationship with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they will see not the gospel of the glory of Christ. He has blinded them. Hear me, folks. When you are talking and dealing with unsaved people, you are dealing with blinded people who belong to the God of this age. They can't see it. They can't see it. They have no clue. Second, to render your life ineffective. What does the enemy want to do? He wants not necessarily to just kill you right off, but he would much rather see you destroy yourself. Now let me, let me say this. I'll, I, I have to tell you some of these graphic, terrible stories. I, matter of fact, I had planned it, but I won't. I'll tell you one experience One experience I had when I first came to Christiansburg and got released on my own was a call of a shots fired, and I won't even tell you the area. I went to that area and walked around the backside of that house early in the morning, probably 2 o'clock in the morning, first one there. As I walked around the backside of that house, I heard ACDC, the rock band, playing. Hell's Bells. Listen to the words of this song. For those of you who like that, now, now, now. Listen to the words of this song. Hell's bells, Satan is calling to you. Hell's bells. I walked around that porch and strewn around a chair were empty alcohol cans and a young man had taken his life. I can't tell you what that did to me. The smells, the sights, and the sounds were so life-shattering for me. And I heard that song. I can't stand to hear that song now. I bought a car recently. And after I got in the car, I went to eject because I was trying to put a CD in it. I went to eject the CD. And guess what was stuck in the CD player? ACDC. Yeah. ACDC. I, I laid it right there in my console. And every time I saw it, I prayed and prayed against it. And finally, pitched it in the garbage after I scratched it where nobody else could get it. Terrible. To blind your eyes, to render your testimony ineffective, to take your life. This is what he wants to do. Unbelievable why spiritual warfare happens. Now, listen to what God's Word, random saying here, talks about Jesus, uh, talks about Satan. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary. What is an adversary? Somebody that is against you. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 
We're in Ephesians chapter 6. If you went back to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells you one of the strategies of the enemy. What is it? Unforgiveness. Do not let anger settle upon your life because when you allow anger to overtake you and bitterness, you give him a stronghold in your life. He'll destroy you. He will eat you alive. A roaring lion seeking someone to devour, resist him. How do you do that? Firm in the faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Everybody who is a believer and lives for Jesus is going to endure this. Everybody. It's not strange to you. Don't count it strange when something happens. You know, in ministry, when we start to do something good and really bad things start to happen, most people go, well, I guess God doesn't want us to do that. That is a horrible way to think. It's like, no. The enemy really doesn't want us to do it, but God wants us to push ahead. We were going on a missions trip a while back over into South America, and the bus had a flat tire, car wrecked behind, all kinds of crazy things happened. One of the, one of the lay men in the church stood up and said, All right, going to be a good one this year. The enemy's after us, but we won't quit. And guess what? We went, people got saved. People in on, who went on the trip got saved. Lives were changed. Amazing. But this man could recognize spiritual warfare. But the enemy seeks around. This is the passage I talked about in Timothy, that we know that the devil was puffed up and conceited and fell in pride into the condemnation of the devil. But preaching is spiritual warfare. I read that. Why is it spiritual warfare, listening and preaching? Listen to what this man wrote. I would venture to say that it is the most intense battle a Christian faces every week. Why? Why is this? It's because the preaching of the gospel strives to advance. The Lord, the commander of the army, is engaging the evil one and fighting to defeat his strongholds. Through preaching, God is seeking to free captives of the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of his Son. Through preaching, God is fighting by His Holy Spirit against the flesh and seeking to liberate people from the domination of sin. Through preaching, Christ is lifted up and placarded before the eyes of the congregation and Satan despises the exaltation of Jesus. Preaching is spiritual warfare and therefore it should not surprise us that Paul encourages Timothy to endure hardship with him like a good soldier of Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.3 It is through the preaching of the gospel that the church of Jesus advances against the forces of darkness. And wherever the kingdom of God makes these attacks and forays into the enemy's territory, you can be certain that the evil one will be counter-attacking as he seeks to protect his domain. Why are some of you asleep this morning? It's not because you didn't get any sleep last night because you're in the lap and under the influence of the evil one. And when we think about addressing an issue like this, how do we do it? Paul tells us we don't fight it with muscles and fists. We don't fight it with hatred and anger. Paul says... For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. You know, if if we're waging war, how how are we going to fight? Shoot, stab, bomb? You can't do that to spiritual forces. So how do you do it, Paul says? For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Do Do you realize this? Every one of you, this is not the pastor or anyone else, this is every believer, has the weapons of warfare in your arsenal to defeat the enemy. He's a defeated foe. You have the weapons to fend him off. The power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I'm going to challenge you, by the way, in a few weeks to memorize this passage. Because it's a great one whenever you're getting ready to get into an argument with somebody. You begin to realize, you know what, I'm not going to win this argument, even if I pin them down and choke them. 
By the way, the, the passage in Ephesians 6, which I will go back to many times, Paul said, we wrestle not. The word wrestle there is only used one time in the New Testament. But when you look that word wrestle up, it comes from, it's used many times about Greek wrestling. Do you all know what happened in Greek wrestling? I was fascinated when I read this. Greek wrestlers would oftentimes try to pin their opponent on the ground. Do you know how they won victory over them? Listen, they would pin them down and they would take their fingers and place over their head and they would gouge their eyeballs out with their thumbs. And when they gouged the eyeballs of the opponent out with their thumbs, they couldn't see. And Paul uses that exact phrase for wrestling. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But let me tell you what we are wrestling against. We're wrestling against the one who wants to gouge your eyeballs out so that you can't see his schemes, the way he acts, and the way he interacts. He doesn't want you to see him. And Paul knows this very well. And Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not in the flesh. What are they? They are weapons of the spiritual nature in which we destroy the stronghold. So true. I read this passage, and if you have a Bible this morning, turn to Acts chapter 19. I'm going to hurry. I know that. But I want to show you why Paul the Apostle knew that we were wrestling in spiritual warfare. And the the parallels here with America are earth-shattering. I could not believe it this week when I read this, how the parallels lined up with our nation. Look at the situation that Paul encountered in Ephesus. Remember, this is the people he's writing to. The book of Ephesians was a circular letter in Ephesus. And Paul wrote this letter, but listen to what he faced there. I'm going to start reading in Acts 19, verse 1. And it happened that while the Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. Now, The book of Acts is transitional. Paul's taken the gospel westward. He goes over and he runs into some disciples who heard John the Baptist preach on the Jordan River. And these disciples of John heard that there was a baptism unto repentance, that is, believe in Jesus. Let's just let the text do the speaking and I'll be quiet. He said, they said, no, we have not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. He said, then into what were you baptized? They said, into John the Baptist's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. What did Paul tell them to do? Or what did John tell them to do? What is the baptism of repentance? Let's look at the text. Telling the people to believe... To believe, should I say it again? To believe in the one who was to come after him. What is salvation? How do you get eternal life, folks? Listen, listen to your pastor carefully this morning. You don't get eternal life by going out and getting a shovel and start dumping dirt all over your head going, Oh, what a terrible rotten man. Oh, what a... Now, you recognize you're a sinner. You can repent until you're green in the face of your evil and your wickedness and you will not have eternal life until you believe what Jesus did on your behalf. When you theologically understand repentance and belief, they are two sides of the same coin. You can't flip one without having the other. So many people today, I even drove by a sign here in Christiansburg, At the Church of Christ on South Franklin, I'll just go ahead and name it. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Well, what does that mean? Can you repent and have eternal life without being baptized? Say yes. But if the only passage you use is Acts 2.38, then you can't. Believe. 
I'm not being nasty this morning. Please don't think that. But did you know that there is such thing as the doctrine of demons? Did you know that? Paul said that there's the doctrine of demons. Did you know that in Revelation 2.9 there's some, something called the synagogue of Satan? He has his own churches. He has his own doctrine. He has his own churches. And guess what else? He has his own preachers. Do not be deceived, for Satan himself disguises as an angel of light. And his ministers do likewise. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He has his doctrine, his church, his preachers, and even his own trinity. Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Read Revelation. He has God's organization counterfeited perfectly. And there's nothing that the devil loves to do more than to confuse people about the simple truths of salvation. And he can get people to repent and to fall down and to wallow and to feel sorry and to throw themselves and how rotten they are and never believe in Jesus. But you can search the Scripture up one side and down the other. And what is the Gospel? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Anything apart from the Gospel of the grace of God on our behalf that we receive only by faith as a free gift is heresy. And He doesn't want you to believe that. He thinks you have to earn it, you have to do something, you have to... This and that and the other. and wallet. Now, I'm not saying repentance is not biblical. Obviously, it's biblical. Yes, we should turn from sin. But repentance, when it deals with salvation, turns in a theological belief of turning from disbelief in the Savior to belief. And that comes by the grace of God. Paul said to this, these people... They were baptized into John. He said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. Look what happened. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now just quickly, why did that happen? Because they were Jews. And because Jews require a sign, and as the apostles spread, what was the message? That these people were, were authenticating the message of belief in Jesus, and they did it. Now look what happened. There was about 12 men in all. And then he entered a synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way... Before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years. By the way, this is where seminaries get their foundation from. Did you know that? This continued for two years so that all residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Paul began, and what happened? The ignorance of, quote, followers they didn't know they didn't even know about a holy spirit now you all hear me this morning and i know i'm seem like i'm being nasty here i'm trying to tell you the truth why are people drawn to charismatic type churches why, why is trinity smaller and the charismatic type church is so huge oh, let me just say for a minute there is some power there why do, I, why do we not practice casting out demons? Why do we not have deliverance ministries here? Why do we not go on Satan attacking, rampaging ministries? And here's why. Because you don't see it in the Word of God. Unless you go back to Jesus and what He did, and you try to imitate and mimic His ministry. You can't do that. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, there is no command on how to cast out a demon. Did you know that? And I want to tell you this morning, when I was a kid, I'm, I'm just sharing stories with you. When I was a kid, I was drugged to a healing ministry. His name was Ernest Angley. He was a TV preacher, and some of you probably know him. My, my grandmother was captivated by this man. 
He would say, place your hand on the TV screen for a miracle. I can remember being a kid and my grandmother dragging me up to the TV. And the static coming off that TV shocked a fire out of me. Hated that thing. She'd drag me up there and make me touch the screen, all of us. By the way, one of her children today is the biggest atheist ever. She took us to a healing ministry because I had a knot right up under my collarbone. It was a big one, and I made the mistake of telling my grandmother. Mom, if you're watching, forgive me. I'm going to tell this one, though. We went to this Ernest Angley ministry, and they drug me up front in the line. I was a little fellow. And he walked down this line, and he was breathing, swooping his hands out in front of him. People were falling like dominoes. I was a kid, and I was standing there, and he took his hand, and he put on my head, and heal! Put it right there on top of my head, and nothing, nothing happened. Two guys behind me grabbed me by the arms and tried to jerk me down to the ground, pull me. And I caught my grip, back, and he, he said, pass him by, went to the next one. And as I began to look, my grandmother said, did you get healed? I lied like a dog. I was a little, little like, I said, yeah, Grandma, it's gone. Because I didn't want to go back to another healing meeting. I have that knot down inside my collarbone to this day. This is the kind of stuff that we were exposed to. Now, some people say, well, you didn't have enough faith to be healed. Casting out demons in wheelchairs. I can tell you story after story after story of people who have lived through this stuff. Unbelievable. Paul the Apostle was wrestling with this. And all these churches that are engaged in this stuff, just hear me carefully, folks. There is no biblical basis. But people today are seeking an experience, they're not seeking truth. They're seeking an experience and a feeling where they are engaged and involved. And when they get that experience and that feeling, they're moved and captured. Now, they're not evil people. Please, please understand me. I'm not saying they're evil. I'm just simply saying they're like the people in the first part of Acts 19. They just don't know. And their whole theology of this is built on a few scattered passages throughout the Gospels. There is no sound biblical theology on this that justifies demon casting, faith healing. You know, people sometimes criticize us for not putting oil on people, as James says in the book of James. I'm going to deal with that too, by the way, because a lot of people ask questions. Why do you as a pastor not anoint people with oil? My question back to them is, if you have something to repent of and confess your open sins before people, we'll be glad to anoint you with oil. But that's what James is talking about. Someone has been sick because of sin. They were hiding in their life. And he told them to come before the elders and be anointed and confess their sin. And the prayer of faith would heal the person. Not the oil. The prayer of faith and the confession of the hidden sin. And the person would be forgiven. Briner, I have no more power to cast out a demon or to break a stronghold in your life by laying our hands on you and making a command over you or pouring gasoline on you than anybody else. Did you hear me? We don't. The weapons of our warfare are not in our office, our title, our degrees. The weapons of our warfare are the same thing you have. Prayer and the truth of the Word of God. The truth. Not pulling out passages from here and there and making up what you want to say to form your opinion or whatever. The truth of the whole counsel of God. Uninformed believers, hard hearts. Look at the spiritism and deception that Paul faced in Ephesus. I'm in verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. There's a church up the road from us that carries prayer aprons. This, this is where they get it from. Listen, folks, I'm not being critical here. But the only thing you're going to get from a prayer apron or holy water that comes from overseas or anything else like that are germs. 
There is no power in, a, in an apron cloth. The power was in God's uh, power, and he was using this to verify Paul's ministry. Prayer hankies and holy water and all this stuff. I know you think I'm being terrible. And I'm telling you, somebody will write me letters. I get them occasionally. I can't believe you said that about that. I had holy water that helped me one time. How much did it cost? First thing I ask them, tell me what it cost you. Well, $29.99, they shipped it from overseas. You just got tap water from somewhere. And somebody took your money. I don't believe it, it healed me. Mm, okay. Were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, What's an itinerant? A traveling Jewish ex- They followed Paul everywhere. Undertook to invoke in the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus who Paul proclaims. We don't know who he is, but I'm using the name Jesus, and he, it worked for him, so now I'm saying, work for us. Look what happened. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know. Paul, I recognize, but who are you, Jack? Who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them. In other words, he pounded them in the ground with his fists, stomping and kicking them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. He pulled all their clothes off, and there's some idea here of you can fill in the blank. sexually charged material here. Ripped their clothes off and was... And there it was. They left. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. Get ready. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts, brought their books, their Ouija boards, their yoga practice. By the way, do you all know what yoga is? Is yoga for a believer? And I know I'm getting really nasty. People get mad at me. It's not my responsibility not to make you mad. It's my responsibility to tell you the truth. Yoga is an Eastern religious, meditative, physical exercise so that you can get yourself into a state of nirvana where you connect with the spirit world and become one with the gods like in Kung Fu Panda. You can become one like Uguay. And when you get to the place to where you have reached that nirvana, and your mind in yoga, you breathe, and you're breathing in the Spirit, and you're breathing out the Spirit, and you're doing all these exercises, and you're trying to connect to the Spirit world, and you're opening yourself up to the Spirit world. Listen to me. That's what is behind it. You say, well, you're being overly sensitive. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Study it. Study why they do that. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them all in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money, by the way. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also go to Rome. Having been sent into Macedonia, two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Well, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who had made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. This is our livelihood. Now don't you mess with it. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there's danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and she may even be deposed of her magnificence, 
She whom all Asia and the world worship. That's where their bank was. That was Wall Street in Artemis, by the way. Had all kinds of temple ladies up there that would shave their heads, sell their bodies. People would put their money in there. You could go in there and buy things in the Agora, in the marketplace. This is where the fresh market was at. The bank, uh, the massage parlors, you all get the point? Everything was under Artemis. People would go there and they would worship. They had temple services. They had priests. And this man says, if Paul comes here and preaches this Jesus guy, he's going to not only put us out of business and destroy everything we have, tear our banks down, he's going to get this temple tore down. So guess what they did? They, They gathered Antifa. Look, when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis to the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion. And they rushed together in the theater, dragging them with Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonius, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him because they knew Antifa would kill him. What are you here fighting for? I don't know. We're just here. We're here for the fight. Did you all watch some of those interviews on TV right here in America? Why are you all out here burning the streets? We don't know. We're just out here for the fight. That's exactly what happened. Confusion. And even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out for one thing, some for another, but the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense of the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew... For about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Are you all believing this? Do you all know what Islam believes? The great rock over in... You all know Muhammad stole from the Bible, right? Here's the great stone. He didn't steal it from Acts. I know that. I'm not dumb. But copied, counterfeited, the great stone that fell from the sky, seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. Can you believe that he's justifying lies? We know know Artemis is a god. We know that the big stone that fell there came from the sky is a... It's kind of like, it, it's kind of like uh, justifying evolution today. We know evolution, evolution is true. We know that. Go ahead and admit it, and then let's move on. We know that. No, we don't. No, we don't. You think Satan likes evolution? You know, if you get, if you get evolution, you get rid of God. That's a whole other service. I'll leave that alone. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. There's proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we're in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when they had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Now, I just read every bit of that for one reason. When Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the dark, he knew what he was talking about. Everywhere he went, he faced spiritual battle. Uninformed believers, hard hearts, spiritism and deception, but there was victory in Jesus. There was a group of people out of that whole mass. He pulled aside and taught every day, for two years. Look, look what the result was. Back in verse 8. Uh, let's see. He entered the synagogue, spoke. Verse 9. When some became stubborn, he took them in. Verse 10. Continued for two years. So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Paul's seminary was effective. There was also a book burning. And a great void of all the spiritism. Now, by the way, I'm just preparing you here. You're going to get mad at me when I start talking about things that are wrapped up in the occult. Okay, Oprah is a ringleader. You all know that. I've shared that with you before. But it's not just Oprah. 
there are all kinds of things that people get entrapped in that are spiritual, spiritual roots behind it. And people don't understand that. My family was in the Masonic Lodge. I'm going to mention that because I think you need to know that. Now, I'm not out here to pick a fight. I'm not out here to try to cause problems. But the Masonic Lodge, who my grandfather elevated to one of the highest places there, is nothing but spiritism and false teaching. And when I got a hold of the stuff, I wanted to throw it away and burn it. A Shriner is someone who has went to the Masonic Lodge and topped out and went above it. And I know the Shriners do good for children and things, but hear your pastor for a minute. There is spirituality and spiritism behind all that. And nobody understands that. Karen and I were actually told recently about some people that we knew They were talking about finding a church. This was such great advice, I thought I would pass it on. But this is what they said. They said, you know, we're looking for a church. When we go to a church, we're looking for two major things, three really. Number one, we're asking the question, does this pastor preach expository text passages? In other words, going through a whole section of Scripture and explain the Scripture in its text, in its context... Explaining the history and then the application to life. Does he do that? Or does he just pick a passage here and then rant for 45 minutes or 30 or hopefully 20 so you can get out and go early, right? Because if he, if he preaches like that, we're not going. So expository preaching. The second thing we want to know uh, it, it was, 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 did he believe, do they believe in a six-day literal creation? In other words, do they emphasize that? Do they believe that? Or do they believe in evolution or whatever? And the third was, do they have a thorough doctrinal statement? But he and his wife had decided they had a bunch of children. They said, this is what we will not do. Listen carefully. We will not pick a church based on its music. Because you can't find one thing in the Word of God about a music style. We will not pick a church based on its music. And number two, we will not pick a church based upon its children's programs or its youth ministries because you won't see that either. People have different opinions, different beliefs, different ideas. We will not choose a church based on that. We will choose it on these others and we will be involved and engaged and that's where we'll plant our roots and that's where we'll stay. I just thought I'd pass that on to you. Spiritual warfare. Paul knew there was victory. Now, quickly, what is the nature of spiritual warfare? Three things, three truths about spiritual warfare. Number one, it can't be detected without divine revelation. You wouldn't know one thing about this, and I wouldn't either, if it wasn't in the Word of God. Do you understand how blind you and I would be this morning about spiritual warfare? we would not have a clue. We would think that we wrestled against flesh and blood. If I can just get rid of this person, if I can just get rid of that thing, my life would be... Listen, that is just not true. If it wasn't for divine revelation, we would not even be able to detect our enemy. By the way, our enemy is very crafty. Did you know that? Those first... Those first four, ver- three verses in Ephesians, he is a crafty, wily, scheming being. The second truth, it cannot be defeated by physical strength or senses. What is psychology, by the way? Let's, can, can I get, I got a whole sermon on psychology too. We love psychology. Psychology is useful. It's how the human nature, right, responds to different things that happen in life, the psyche. Modern psychology, there's no concept of a separate spiritual relationship between man and God. It's just part of in the brain. And when you die and your brain dies, what happens? Your spirit dies because your spirit's nothing more than your matter up there. Brain. If you don't believe me, read your children's psychology books. So when matter dies, spirit dies. God's Word says that's ridiculous. But psychology tries to deal 
with issues in life based upon what? The senses. This is how we have physical problems, so we deal with things in what? Physical ways. We take our mind and we do this and we do that and we do that with our mind and this and some thoughts and patterns. By the way, is it, is it possible for an unbeliever to quit looking at pornography? Can they? Please say yes. Yes. Is it, is it possible for a believer to quit looking at pornography? Say yes. So one has the Holy Spirit and one doesn't. What is the difference between the two? Can you answer that question, by the way? The question is, the one who stopped, who, who is an unbeliever, did it because of a pattern of behavior. Denied self. Action one, action two, action three. But the believer does it for a different reason. Why? Their motive is not action one, action two, action three. It's, my Lord and Savior Jesus died for my sins and I stand before God faultless. And I understand that and I realize that. And based on the fact of what He did for me, I owe that to Him. I am not my own. I don't live my life to satisfy my selfish sexual gratification. I am His. And when those temptations come my way, I don't go through step 1, 2, and 10. I look at Jesus and say, I owe it to you. And you need to help me, Lord, not to do that. I don't want to do it. I owe it to you. Now, if I have to use step 2, 3, and 4 to be around it, there's nothing wrong with that. That is not my motive. My motive is I belong to the one who bought me. Can't be detected. It can't be defeated by physical strength. And it can only be defended by God's strength. Paul says, stand, therefore. Stand. We are to stand. Don't charge. You're not told to charge the devil. You're told to resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm. Because you will have a fight. Tony Evans, listen to what he says. He says, we are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. Jesus won the victory. And when the believer understands where we are fighting from, we can be victorious. Can I show you one thing to whet your appetite for next week? Are you ready? Are you ready? I mean, we're here to study, not just to, to get some kind of little feeling here. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, our principalities and powers are in heavenly places. You remember that? Turn in God's Word to that real quick. Ephesians 6, real quick, verse 12, against the powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If your battle takes place in the heavenly places, how do you defend it and defeat it? Now, take your pen, draw a line out from that word heavenly places. Go ahead and underline it. That's why you ought to bring a Bible. And then I want you to turn back to chapter 1. You ready? It's good stuff. It's good stuff here. I'm going to start reading in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Can you read that for me? In the heavenly places. Wait a minute, our battle is in the heavenly places? We've been blessed in the heavenly places? Uh, wait, what have you blessed us with, Paul? Well, have I whetted your appetite? By the way, the phrase heavenly places is used four times in the book of Ephesians. Can you find them? Well, I found two of them for you. And here's your homework for next week. You ready? Because this is my sermon. Part of it. Part of it. If our battle is in the heavenly places, and we have our resources and have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, what's our responsibility? We are victorious because of our victor, Jesus. Colossians 2.13 says, And you who were dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us. How many? Well, y'all say that like you're really excited. <laughs> he has forgiven us 
All sin. How much is all? Is all past? Is all present? Is all future? Well, that's what you call forgiveness there. He has forgiven us all sin, all trespasses. How did He do it? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Your soul, just like that of Adam, Satan wanted to tear it to the ground. He did Cain. Cain was of the evil one, John says in 1 John. You had a debt and a legal demand against you that when you were born with a nature opposed to God, unless it was regenerated, it would wind up in the lake of fire where the enemy wants your soul. But He forgave us all our trespasses and canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. And He did something else that you and I couldn't see and can't see. We only know through divine revelation. Listen to what happened. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in Him. There was a warfare in the second heavens when our Savior was crucified and Jesus, Paul uses military terminology, He stripped their clothes off. He put them to open shame. And when we preach the gospel of Christ, we are going to be persecuted. We are going to be mocked and scoffed and ridiculed when we stand for God's Word. But nevertheless, the way we defeat the enemy is through the truth of the gospel of the grace of God, which is life in Jesus Christ, eternal life, given as a free gift on our behalf. What a Savior! And He has defeated the spiritual forces of evil. We should thank Him for it. Father, thank You this morning for the wonderful blessings of Jesus Christ. Thank You that we are in Him this morning, blessed with every spiritual blessing. And we have to access them in the heavenly places. Help us to know, Father, when we come together as believers, we are tapping into resources in heavenly places. We're hearing Your Word. We're seeing each other. We're being strengthened. We're being encouraged. We're singing praises. And You're helping us to gain victory over strongholds in our life. Thank You for the Gospel of the grace of Jesus that liberates us from not just the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin in our life. Help us, O oh Lord, to learn how to defeat the power of sin. It's already been defeated. But as Tony Evans says, we are not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. You won the war. We just have to win the little battles. But we do it in your strength. Bless our people this week as they go out and face their own spiritual battles. Give them eyes to see when things are challenging and go wrong, that we are not wrestling flesh and blood, but we're wrestling a spiritual unseen force that tries to destroy us and our testimony. But it has been defeated, and we have hope in Jesus. Open our eyes to truth, we do pray. And we thank you once again for the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.